Hello and welcome to the Bristol to Beijing podcast. I'm Luke Grenfellshaw and I'm cycling from Bristol to Beijing on my tandem Chris. I left Bristol in January 2020 and it's fair to say it hasn't been straightforward so far. As I continue my expedition, I want to share the journey with you. And each episode, I'll be sharing my thoughts and experiences from the past week on the road. And occasionally, I'll also be chatting with someone who can shed some light on the country I'm in as I try and understand the world a little better. So, without further ado, what's happened this past week? So, Luke, I left you in Tbilisi. Where have you got to now? Well, everyone might be expecting me either to be still in Tbilisi as I threatened to be, or on the way to Baku, which is my next stop. But in fact, I am in Gudari. Where's Gudari? How far from Tbilisi are you? So Gudari, it's still in Georgia, but I've gone up high. I've gone into the mountains and I'm surrounded by snow. Gudari is one of the ski resorts of Georgia. Okay. One of? I, I had literally no idea that there were ski resorts in Georgia. Right. I feel like I'm learning something new every week. Yeah, and I think that's it. I think very few people realise that Georgia does have a lot going for it. And there are at least two ski resorts. There's a family-friendly one. And I'm in Gudari, which is 2,000 metres at the base camp. And then, yeah, ski lifts that take you up into the mountains. And we've had snow the last few days. It's about two hours drive Mm -hmm. from Tbilisi. So it's actually quite close as well. So you're not on the bike. You've left Chris behind. Exactly. Chris is taking a break in Tbilisi, Mm -hmm. a well-earned break because Chris has been on the go basically all the way since Istanbul, Mm -hmm. done about 2,000 plus kilometers over the course of a month or something. So it's been quite intense as as this ride goes. So you headed up into the mountains. Are you skiing? Yeah, came here to go skiing. Actually, I'm snowboarding. And one of the things that surprised me is that this isn't some sort of pokey Soviet ski resort Mm. that's not the feel at all there are modern developments there are some really nice cafes we went to a restaurant at the bottom of the slopes after skiing today which was called the drunk cherry and we had (laughs) excellent name we had some great beans we had mulled wine we had a cappuccino and watched people bomb down the slopes. And this didn't feel like Georgia. It felt like skiing, as I've been very fortunate to do in in France or in Austria or something. It feels just like all the the excitement and the kind of cuteness of a sort of chalet village and the crunching through snow, that was all there. And though I haven't been skiing in, I think, five or six years. So it's been really cool to bomb down some slopes and just take a break from the bike and do something totally different. Have your ski legs come back to you fairly quickly if you haven't been on the snow for five years or so? Yeah, they have. I haven't done any really hard runs uh, and I've definitely like face planted a few times. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) The last couple of days, it's been snowing quite a lot. So there's a lot of thick powder, like a good foot of it, maybe Mm. a foot and a half. And I was going down this really amazing stretch of off-piece through this powder and the lighting was very flat. So I couldn't really see how steep it was, if there were bumps or anything. And then there was just this drop of about a metre and a half, nothing crazy. Mm. And and then I just like smashed into the bottom of it and, you know, completely face planted. And at that point I was like, I'm so glad that this is snow and not tarmac. Yes, you've got to make sure you don't break any bones because I feel that might hinder the Bristol to Beijing trip slightly. Yeah, it was on my mind a bit. You know, ever since I started sort of cycling seriously and doing triathlon seriously, I have been more worried about 
injuring myself during skiing and then like not being able to train for for two months or three months because my dad quite a few years ago tore his ACL and Mm. he actually then spent his rehab on a hand-powered bicycle and did that for about six months but it took him a long long time to get back to cycling and running and I don't want to have to take that much time out. So how much longer are you going to be on the slopes for? just tomorrow and then heading back to Tbilisi and then there's a really exciting set of things coming up in the next week going to a place called the Pankisi Valley where there's a super cool project which I'll tell you all about next week mm-hmm. and then getting some final prep with Chris like trying to change some chain rings sort some other bits out replace some spokes so that really needs to happen before we move on and it really is a, a poor reflection on me that that's always the last job and the last thing to happen and I always just find that there's so much else to do bike maintenance is not top of your priorities obviously no it's not (laughs) oh dear um so you've been on the mountains for how long uh just today and tomorrow okay so just it's gonna be two days in total okay so what have you been up to for the rest of your week are you is there a leading question in here kate i feel that you're you're going for something right now as those of you who've been watching the bristol to beijing social media channels will have noticed it was someone's birthday this last week on thursday luke you are Who now was it, it, it was, was it? you are now 27 so a very happy birthday and how did you spend your 27th birthday well it's really interesting actually i was reflecting on what it means to have a birthday and you know in the past i've always felt that a birthday is like a celebration it's a celebration of the passing of time mm-hmm. and also it's kind of that day when everyone tells you like just how great you are everyone says oh luke you're such a great guy or kate it's your birthday they say oh kate you're such a wonderful person which is nice but i begun to think that i don't really feel that a birthday should be about celebrating the passing of time mm-hmm. and maybe a lot of people don't think of it like that but i certainly did What I've decided or kind of what the conclusion I've come to is that a birthday is a time to celebrate and recognize all the wonderful things that have happened over the previous year and the people who have made it possible and the things that have happened and the people who contributed to them. And so that was one of the things that I thought about and phoned up my mum, I phoned up Mm -hmm. my dad and a couple of other people just to say I really appreciate you m- mm-hmm. making things possible so yeah that was one of my kind of thoughts on, on birthdays it was a little philosophical digression I suppose okay what did you spend the day doing where were you for your birthday I was in Tbilisi mm-hmm. and one of the things about Tbilisi that I'm discovering that Tbilisi has a reputation for people coming out and never leaving okay as in people traveling to Tbilisi from other countries and just never going home Basically, yeah. So I met a journalist called Amy, who was working for one of the Georgian newspapers. And she was cycling from the UK to, I think, Japan or maybe Australia. And she never made it beyond Tbilisi because she just loved the place so much. Wow. And she's, she's now lived here for about 18 months. And one of the reasons for this is actually there's a huge amount going on in Tbilisi, like a lot of really cool places to be. And on my birthday, I went to a place called Stamba, which is probably one of the nicest. It's certainly one of the nicest hotels in Tbilisi. Mm-hmm. And what makes it cool is that it's it's not just some like really plush place with soft beds and mm-hmm. I don't know. 
what what are swimming pools and i don't even know what a nice hotel <laughs> um it's kind of got the vibe of being like a converted warehouse with a lot of exposed concrete you walk in and there are these huge plants growing up on either side and there's almost like a kind of vertebrae of I don't know what it was. It looked like a skeleton, but it was made out of bits of wood that kind of snaked its way high above you. And there were bookcases everywhere and like leather armchairs. And so what they'd created was almost like a separate world of prohibition era, quite quiet, but cozy, secluded, lots of books mixed with a slight kind of like Hollywood vibe. So, you know, like those kind of big, bright show lights in some places that you would light a set with Mm. and sheepskin chairs. So a really interesting mix of stripped back, yet luxurious Mm. and quite cozy in some ways, but quite audacious and brash in others. So it's a fascinating place just to spend time. And they've got an amazing like cafe there and stuff. Sounds like a great place to people watch. True, true. I was doing more drinking coffee. The the room I was staying in had like a proper coffee machine and I absolutely smashed it in the morning of just pour, making myself espresso after espresso. It was like incredibly exciting. Mm-hmm. So simple sort of guy. So we've been sent in some questions. Mm. It's always great when we get sent in questions. So if you have any questions for Luke, please do send us a message via social media, Bristol to Beijing or on the website. And this week, Luke, I've been asked by Briggs 500. I think this is quite, I guess, a poignant question, given that it has been your birthday this week, and therefore what you've been reflecting on. And Briggs 500 asks whether you're missing home and family. That's um, that's a really interesting question, because uh, one of the things that also happened this week is I did a talk via Zoom for an NGO called Mac Georgia that one of the programs that they have is working in rural schools mm-hmm. and I, I did a talk to these uh, students and a couple of questions went something on the lines of do you regret starting this ride are there times when you wish that you could go back home mm-hmm. and it's interesting because I very rarely get asked those sorts of questions in the United Kingdom so there's quite a difference of attitude there I don't quite know what to make of it at this point I'll be sort of thinking about it. But I feel just immensely lucky to be riding right Mm. now in the midst of a pandemic, somehow so far since August, being able to make slow but steady progress and meeting people and having just these incredible experiences that I know are so rare and incredibly precious right now. And one of the things I hope this podcast does achieve is sharing some of that excitement and novelty with everyone listening in hopefully Mm -hmm. a really positive way. So when it comes back to Briggs 500 question, and thank you so much for asking it, I don't really miss the United Kingdom right now. And I am very fortunate that I can keep in contact with a lot of my friends and family through Zoom. And then actually, my mum has just come out and visited me here in Georgia. I've had other friends join me for periods of the ride. And I'm really Mm -hmm. hoping that as the world begins to move forwards with COVID, but also open up, that more friends will be coming out. So I'm in this immensely fortunate position that 
friends and family going to be joining me out on the tandem and hopefully Kate you will be joining as well and then we can have a proper live rather than a, a zoom conversation which I'm Absolutely. very excited about. But not just friends and family as well though you also have can livers joining you so we've had people who've contacted us who themselves have had a cancer diagnosis have gone through treatment or are at whatever stage of their own journey and they hopefully will be able to join you later on this summer when restrictions ease. Yeah, that's absolutely right. There are a good few can livers who are planning on joining. And that is one of the really, really important bits of this expedition for me. It hasn't been at the forefront really since COVID because it's so difficult for people to travel and particularly with a pre-existing health condition. But this ride, I've always hoped, is much more than just Luke cycling his tandem to Beijing and he's an exceptional guy the actually what's so brilliant is that it shows that I'm not exceptional that there are other can livers coming and joining I mean Kate you're just the most brilliant example in my mind when I first met you you were going through bloody chemotherapy when mm-hmm. you joined on the tandem at the beginning of January yep taking your pill January 2020 this was and then it was you who said oh when you're in London why don't you join me in the serpentine and we'll go for a swim which sounds quite innocent to me I didn't realize there would be frost on the ground and my 20 seconds in the water was thoroughly rinsed by your luxurious paddle around I think it's so exciting that people like you we've had so many others you sue Lizzie, Kirsty, Miranda, there seems to be quite a, a strong representation from the female side. So I think that does need addressing at some point. But that's one of the things that I think is most important about this ride. Hmm. Although, as Luke says, there does seem to be a disparity and far more female cantilevers joining. So if you are male and had a cancer <laughs> yes. diagnosis, get in touch and come and show that you guys are just as good as us girls on the back of the bike. And Kate, I've got to ask... You're a can lever, you've joined on the bike. What did it actually mean to you? It's all very well me saying, talking about these high-minded ideals, but what did you feel about it? It was quite a big deal for me, to be honest. I mean, I was diagnosed in 2018, same as you, and then I was on continuous treatment from 2018 until the middle of 2020. Throughout 2019, I ended up being really quite ill and got to the point where I couldn't stand up let alone go for a run, which is what I was used to doing, let alone go for a swim, which is what I was used to doing. Now, cycling was always my least favorite. So I wasn't so sad not to be cycling at that point, but (laughs) it meant I basically couldn't do anything. And through the autumn, I gradually built up my strength and started swimming again, started running again, but I was too scared to get on a bike because whilst I was still on treatment, my balance was really bad. And then suddenly in comes an email from Durham say that a Durham alumni is going to be traveling from Bristol to Beijing on a tandem and invites other people with a cancer diagnosis to join him. And so I think, why not? I'll join this random person that I've never met and spend four days with him. And that's what happened. And that's what I love so much. The why not attitude? Not that, oh, I'm definitely going to do this, or I feel really confident in doing this, or this is what I should be doing. It's like, well, why not? I could do this. I don't really know what's going to happen. It could go quite wrong, but... I had no idea. You could have been a complete nutter for anything for all I knew. But just getting on a bike and 
being given that confidence back again that it's something is possible has meant that since I've joined you back in 2020, I've now been able to go cycling on my own again. So mm. I feel very lucky for that. That's really, really awesome to hear. And I would have thought there could be a lot of questions for you from all our listeners. So if you want me to ask some questions to Kate, then do send in some questions to Bristol to Beijing on social media channels. One final question to ask you before we leave you up in the mountains with the snow was sent in from Dan Jolliffe and it says, how the heck do you recover from so much cycling? Dan, thanks so much for the question. I think almost this past week is uh, part of your answer that, you know, there are periods of intensity when I'm on the bike and cycling from Ankara fairly well nonstop to Tbilisi took a little bit of a toll on my body. And I also take some extended periods of time off the bike. And it's not just about physical recovery, but it's also mental recovery about wanting and being excited to get back on the bike and not sort of dreading spending another day in the saddle, mm. just watching the tarmac pass. On a day-to-day -day basis, I think one of the things that's really important for recovery, in my opinion, is eating and eating fairly high quality food, as high quality as I can get. For me, that's a lot of vegetables I love and you know some apples i try to be a vegetarian as much as i can that's not always possible but mm. i do consider myself vegetarian and probably after i finish riding what i would tend to do is get a bag of oats you can get them basically in any country in the world with milk which you can get in any country in the world and i basically eat oats and milk mm. i'll have dinner as well but that gives me an immediate fuel and nutrients and protein for my body to start recovering so i think that's one of my top tips that i think a lot of people think right i've just done a fairly hard piece of exercise i'll wait till dinner and i'd say never do that don't have two dinners but have a small thing to keep you going and mm. don't have a chocolate bar i think oats and milk are just brilliant and maybe just put some raisins in but i think a lot of people think that i'm pretty boring <laughs> so do what so works you have oats and milk for breakfast and oats and milk at the end of your day's riding and then I'll have oat cakes whilst I'm on the bike. So that is very, that was another question we were asked actually was what's your go-to snack on the bike by Jamie Williams 96. Yeah. Well, there you go, Jamie. It's oat cakes. Oat cakes it is. When I can get hold of them. What about sleep? How much of a part does sleep play in your recovery and how much are you able to sleep whilst you're traveling? Sleep is massively important and I will tend to go to bed at 11 pretty consistently and I used to always get up at 6.30. Now I'm often getting up at sort of 7.30 and just being a bit more flexible or just a little finding it a little harder to get out of bed. So I think that's one of the things that I definitely value. I try and stay up late. It just doesn't work. And I feel a bit rubbish the next day. For me, one of the most important things about sleeping well is cutting off all tech an hour before going mm. to bed. And I like writing a diary because it helped take out all the thoughts that would be going around my head and sort of puts them onto the page and takes away that brain activity. And then the final thing that I do is I read a nonfiction book until I basically start reading the same sentence over and over again. And that's when I know that I'm going to fall asleep pretty soon. And I do. So I've got a good routine for that. And I'm lucky to have found one because I know for some people it's much more difficult. So good night's sleep plus decent nutrition and that helps keep you going oat, oat cakes and then also taking a couple of weeks off every so often like you are at the moment indeed 
Kate, thank you for all these questions and thank you everyone who sent in the question. It's really good to be challenged and sort of tickled by these questions and see sort of what actually pops up and helps me think a little bit more about the ride. So please send them in. I really hope you all enjoyed this episode and I look forward to next week. And that was this week's episode. I really hope that you enjoyed it and thanks so much for listening. We put a lot of time into the podcast, so please do support us by subscribing, reviewing, and rating. And please send in your questions that you have about any aspect of life on the road to Bristol to Beijing on social media. Until next week, goodbye.